As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Gianni Infantino and I'm joined today by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe Devine. Hello there, how are you? I'm fine. Jonathan Dog mckenzie Hello. Hello. And of course, here is JJ Bull the Bullet. Hello. There he is. That's right. We've just finished watching the 100-year ceremony of uh, lifting the World Cup. Um, and 100 years before that, we watched a fantastic game of football, which is probably going to occupy most of our discussion today. But other than that, we will talk about what we think of the World Cup generally, some sort of uh, takeaways now that it's all over. And of course, there is the final of points are bad. And we're going to find out who's been bad uh, than the other people. Yeah. And the meaningless trophy will be handed out. And of course, we will take at least 55 minutes to do that at the end of the podcast because it seems appropriate. Okay, fine. Well, have you had a nice day there, JJ Bull? Oh, absolutely. The game is uh, not at all how I expected it. I'm very pleased for Lionel Messi winning yeah. the World Cup. I think that's great. Yeah. I'm just hoping that there is a small twist in the points are bad finale in which points truly are bad. Yeah. And then the worst person ends up being... Perhaps the goodest. Well, that would be me. Oh, then... Mm. Yeah. Can I, t- I tell you what, though? If you want a resource to, to help you uh, transition from a worst to best in terms of football knowledge, then you should visit The Athletic. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where I believe you can get uh, in on the last, the final day of a special World Cup deal. Um, and if you wait a couple of days, and you get a 30-day 30, 30 free trial, I think. So you can try that out uh, for free for 30 days. Mm. If you want to learn a little bit about the World Cup itself, the actual trophy, Nick Miller's done an explainer. Yes. You can find that right now. Well, as part of the journey that uh, Nick and Laurie went on that we have yes, uh, documented on the TIFO Football Channel, um, they spoke to the son of the man who created or designed the World Cup. And uh, he described it. Uh, he described himself as the brother of the World Cup. And he described uh, he, himself feeling a discomfort every four years at all these different people kissing his sister. As he said, very interesting. Very interesting to have a, a familial sibling relationship with... A trophy. A trophy. Yeah. yeah. That must be difficult for him. I think it's one of those bits, it's a sort of funny bit, isn't it? Yeah. You've been telling the yeah. same story for 30 years. There we go. Yeah. Anyway, that's The Athletic. <laughs> Visit theathletic.com forward slash Tifa. But for now, I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of Gianni Infantino on the TV forever. Yes, France 3, 3 Argentina, 2-4 on penalties. Now, JJ, I'll come to you to to start with, um, because you already described this game as nothing at all like you imagined. Yeah. What about this wasn't like what you imagined? (laughs) Uh, It seems too um, perfect that Mbappe scores a hat-trick and Messi scores almost the winner. And there's all these, like, like to Messi to score in the World Cup final, really wanted to see that. For Mbappe to score in the World Cup final, wanted to see that. Uh, wanted Messi to win it personally, because I just think it's a nice way to end that story. Um, and that happened as well. And there was, it just played out. There's no huge controversies that you need to worry about. Everything just seemed to work. I thought there'd be far fewer goals. I thought France would be much better 
it didn't go anywhere yeah. near like it. Like you'd think, I mean, France didn't have a shot on target until about extra time. No. It was crazy. And then, in terms of the drama, it was absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. I got, I got almost got the preview right of how I thought they'd play. Actually, I didn't because I got, didn't have Di Maria in it. So actually, I was wrong. Right. No one wrong. got the preview right. Yeah. Don't beat yourself up about that. No, it's like, so it was the kind of trying to flood the midfield and playing through the, through the middle. Like John was, John predicted how they would play really through the middle. That's how you hurt France. And, uh, that I just didn't really see much of how they were going to do it. Like mm. I thought Messi would be great. He was. I didn't expect McAllister to be one of the best midfielders in the world of all time. Well, you said was. at one point during the game that there were about five a player of the match performances in the Argentina team. Yeah, so I think Romero would be there. Um, Romero, I thought uh, Rodrigo de Paul was really good, yeah. even though he's you know still doesn't do much with the ball. Uh, Di Maria easily, um, Julian Alvarez for all the stuff he's doing off the ball as well, just forcing the ball back constantly. And Messi would be there and as, well, as well, and McAllister. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, John, what happened for France? Because for the first. 70 minutes of that game they they weren't just poor i mean they, they were they were very very poor yeah i think i spent a lot of the few days before the game trying to think about how the the, the tactical um, battle would would take place and i think what we've been seeing from france throughout the tournament is that everyone knows that mbappe leaves space in behind and the way that france set up is to try and alleviate as much of the pressure that that can offer um and I think because of that, because what they do is they, they it, rather than what you would usually do in a, a 4 2 3 one like this, you would have one of your strikers um, pushing up the first line of the press and then your number 10 then would push up alongside them. And then you nicely form like a 4 4 2 You usually drop your, your, your wide players in closer to the fullbacks uh, and, and this is just a really nice defensive situation. But obviously the problem is, is that Mbappe doesn't want to track back as much or doesn't track back as much or however it's, it's set up. And so what France have been doing then is rather than having Mbappe dropping back, they push him across to go alongside Giroud or the, the, the number nine and then it's Griezmann who drops in and then the rest of the midfield sort of shuffle around and then you've got your, your 4 4 2 block in that way mm. and a lot of teams then have, have come across and said well the weak area then is this area here that, that is behind Mbappe um, which is you know the, the area between the where Mbappe is and the, and the fullback between him and, and Teo Hernandez and so a lot of teams have tried to attack that space so England dropped Jordan Henderson into that space for example but I think what this ignores is the fact that this front line of pressure from France in Giroud and Mbappe is is really quite perfunctory they're really they're not going to put you under a huge amount of pressure and so if you're building up from the back and you get past that first line of pressure you then are running at a midfield of Chouamini and and Griezmann and Rabiot is obviously a little bit narrower but he's 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 concerned with with this the the mm. wide space that we've talked about that is left behind by Mbappe and I think what we saw teams who've done well so Morocco after they switched their their system in the semi-final um what they did so well was they got through that first line of pressure into the middle and then you're you're running at this this midfield you can pull them around and then you can you can find the spaces in the wide areas from from there and I think that's the best way of going at, at France and Argentina did that in this game they kept yeah. they kept their formation narrow they didn't worry too much at all about about Mbappe in particular um when Di Maria was seen on the t uh, on the lineup. Everyone expected him to be playing over on the right hand side, uh, just giving a little bit more coverage on on this area where you've got Mbappe, you've got Teo Hernandez. He did start there as well. He started in midfield in the three. Right, and then they shifted him out to the other side. So essentially, you had Rodrigo de Paul here and Molina covering both Mbappe and and Hernandez. Obviously, you've got Romero there too, but actually did something that no other team's really done that much in this tournament, which is be proactive, yeah. go out, go and go and try and cause France problems. You know, they're going to sit back. They're going to allow teams to have the ball. And then rather than giving the ball in this sort of area where, sorry, on the, on the left-hand side where, where Teo Hernandez is, where you know you can, if they're going to transition, they're going to transition at speed through Mbappe and Hernandez. They just focus their build-up on the other side. Mm. Um, they got Di Maria um, isolated 1v1 against Yul Kunde, yeah. uh, and, they, and they were just constantly trying to find that ball into him as well. So I thought it was really proactive, and it worked really well until they were 2-0 up, and then they decided, right, now yeah. we've got to start sitting back a little deeper. Ali Clarkson from, from the office, who works for, for TIFO in a, more of an administrative role, he pointed out that if the more often that Di Maria had the ball on the far uh, far left, the further away it was from Mbappe at any given time as well, which seems like a, a prescient point. I wonder if he made that point, Seb Blor, because he'd had a little bit of cookie that was sent in to us uh, by a friend of the podcast, Dee McConville. Thank you, Dee. I will say I did eat most of the cookie. I was going to ask, uh, how, what kind of percentage Is of that? Is it gone? I not would little say cookie, I, I probably, lots of cookie. I probably ate about 
40% of a pizza-sized cookie. Is that whole thing gone? No, no, there's still oh. some on the desk okay, there. I mean, you better get out of this room before I do, otherwise it will be gone. <laughs> but uh, uh, Dee sent that in as a, as a thank you for... Uh, she's been enjoying uh, watching the uh, the podcasts over the last month. And uh, I tell you what, it's gone down a treat, Dee. So thank you very much. Yeah. What did you think about uh, Argentina during this game, Seb? Because uh, as as bad as France were mm. in the first 70 minutes, before Argentina took their foot off uh, off the gas, they uh, they were splendid. They were wonderful. Uh, they were far better than I thought they were capable of being. Uh, the one thing sort of that it has echoed through this tournament is a little bit of vulnerability with Leeds, and they survived to the final and they um, not got away with it, but obviously needed penalties to beat Holland. Um, this evening, the same kind of thing happened. And a couple of bad decisions. Obviously, um, you know, uh, within there is a terrific finish by Mbappe and a great run by uh, Kalimawani. But um, again, sort of slightly suspect defending, which I think has been a question mark against them all the way through. What I will say is that having got to 2-2 and almost, quote unquote, lost the World Cup with, you know, it already in your possession, it takes, sure does take a lot of emotional resilience to rebalance mm. and survive, not only survive extra time, but nearly win the game again in extra time and then nearly lose it again. But um, that's very difficult. And I feel like a, a weaker, more fragile side probably crumbles in that situation. Because yeah. there's a period where actually it looked like France were inevitably going to win it. They just looked um, conditioned better. They looked as if they had a better t- better tactical idea of what they were trying to do. And one of the kind of the, the offshoots of Deschamps loading the top of the pitch with pace was that uh, as the game got older, uh, Argentina just looked more and more vulnerable. And they yeah. did brilliantly well to survive. And by the way... Um, Great bit of goalkeeping by Martinez in right at the end of extra time. It's one of the saves of the tournament, no yeah. doubt about that. And um, timing wise, so David De Gea in his prime sort of save, wasn't it? Yeah. So there's um like when when Man United won the '68 European Cup, there's an Alex Stepney save that people talk about from Eusebio that um, is almost as famous as all of the other goals that were scored in that game. And I think this becomes the same thing mm. um, because people will talk about what Martinez did outside of the penalty shootout yeah. as being a pivotal moment in Argentinian football and. He deserves it. So brilliant, brilliant bit of goalkeeping. Yeah, it was extraordinary, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, JJ, you um, you are probably going to stick around after this live stream to try and make a video analysing what yes. happened in the game. But you did say a couple of times towards the end of the game, you weren't sure how you were going to do that. <laughs> I think, can, can you explain what you what you mean by that? It's a quite, maybe it's a good opportunity for people to to uh, you know have a little bit best behind the behind scenes the look of uh, yeah behind the mind all the way to the big the big vacuum hole <laughs> behind where your mind is. Um, but uh, why do you say do you, do you say that because um, the game didn't really play out in the way that the, the setup might have um, helped you expect it to? Uh, I mean, part of the joy of watching football is that some things happen that just don't. It doesn't matter how you set up or what you expect can happen or what should happen in the controlled confines of like maybe you have one wall here, one wall here, but the ball will bounce in between it. Sometimes it goes outside of it, just things you can't possibly imagine, and. Although we, I can see what the managers are trying to do, like I always want to look at how managers, what they're trying to do, and a lot of what happens with tactics is player decisions that a manager cannot control, um, bits of luck, the ball bobbling a certain way, someone just spotting something that the manager couldn't possibly see, but mm-hmm. space, maybe they've been told to look for it and they spot it, uh, and people like Messi can open up a game on their own. Mm. Um, but the thing, what I meant by that is like when, like when me and John do these videos often, what we do is we watch a match and then we go, uh, we just tidy up a little bit of notes go straight into the studio which we we record this live stream and then we just do a thing in front of the board and basically try and tell the story of what the what the game was and you can remember some bits and there's certain things that happen in games that you're watching that clearly stand out and often when you put two and two together it gives you the how the game went that's Mm. how it works and uh, but with this what i was talking about why it's so hard to do is that there were so many little tight combinations that were almost not designed by the managers they just happened because Mm. players were starting to push forward it's a world cup final you don't want to lose that you really want to win it and so people were pushing forward like the goal that that the penalty that argentina giveaways the one that france scored the first penalty yeah yeah. comes from a throw-in on the on the, the left of the pitch that argentina have yeah it's weird and they've they've pushed all their players up the pitch um, like really a really high line for for some reason at that point in the game, even though they dropped off and were sitting deeper. So they pushed up and they left themselves really open at the back. So that when Otamendi was caught one v one with who was it fouled? Randall. Randall. Was it? Yeah. So he left one v one with him. Shouldn't have been. Didn't take the opportunity to boot the ball out because maybe he wanted to be extra sure. But where he was positioned in the pitch, it's just just like far enough away from his goalie that he couldn't try and head it back to the goalie to give mm. it safe. 
because he wouldn't get enough power on it. And the bounce is so high, you couldn't guarantee he'd get it. I don't think he even could have booted the ball out. And the split-second decision he made to do it, to boot it out or not um, is the thing. He would coach himself to boot that out every single time. That's what he'd tell himself to do. But in that moment, in that pressure situation, when you've got this really fast guy running at you and yeah. you're Otamendi, yeah. <laughs> and then you don't take it, yeah. but you're in trouble. And then he, he gets caught, he, he buries him. I think uh, Moani is really smart in that situation too because the first thing he does is step across him to make sure that like there's no free tackle well, available. Same with Maria, exactly it? Yeah. that. It's it's really really smart because mm. actually um since he's moved to Eintracht he has scored goals but he's probably better known for being an assist provider like a creative forward and that was a really kind of instinctive bit of play which is yeah, very impressive and and also think about where he is he's only in this squad because of the injury to Nkunku comes up on the sort of the eve of the the tournament is called up to the squad and ends up playing a pivotal role in the in the kind of the the comeback. It was just a really really smart bit of play and definitely yeah. a penalty. Well, uh, talking about um, uh, things to analyse within the game, John, we were discussing whilst we were watching the idea of. I suppose we didn't say game state, but I know it's something that you like to think about. Now, Argentina they went two ahead, and then from about the 60th minute they took their foot off the gas, um, which you described as a bad idea at the time. Uh, and then, of course, France scored two goals. Argentina, uh, uh, was it Argentina that went ahead again? Was it France that went 3-2 up or was it Argentina that went 3-2? Argentina. Argentina. And then the same thing kind of happened again, although it would be in a, in a sort of micro version of that. Um, what was the game state like for you in this one? <laughs> yeah, we, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we saw Argentina do the same thing against the Netherlands. They went 2-0 up and then gave away two goals towards the end. Mm. Um, and... I, I, People will talk about game management in these sorts of situations. And, and I think what people mean by that is is usually right, deciding that it's better to make the, it harder for the opposition to score than worry about scoring yourself, right? If you're in a situation where you're 2-0 up, you can try and get a third goal or you can make it hard for the opposition to, to score. And um, I think th- this is where Argentina are kind of an interesting squad because when you look at them, that the the way that when they've played well, it's always when they've been playing proactive football, pretty much when they've been attacking the opposition, keeping the ball away from their own half, and making sure that the the opposition are are being pressed quite aggressively if you lose the ball. And what we saw in, as you said, after the 60th minute, Argentina starts sitting a little bit deep, putting less pressure on the uh, opposition. And France at this point, as you say, like they haven't had a shot on target. They haven't had a, really any chances at all to this point. Yeah. And what it allowed France to do then was it did a couple of things. One is that you're not making it hard for them to progress the ball down the field. So so you're you're starting to do that thing that, that France have been doing a lot through this tournament, which is allow the opposition to have possession, make it fairly easy for them to progress the ball down the field. Mm. And then um, you, you sort of ride, not not ride luck, but you you, you sit deep and you, uh, you you say if you get the ball into the box, we're gonna we're gonna clear it away with our with our centre backs. But Argentina just simply don't have that kind of back line, and mm. they they have a back line of, of players who can look quite frenetic. So players like Otamendi, um, Christian Romero is a great uh, is a great I think ground ball winner. But I think when, as soon as you start putting it in the air at him, he looks a little bit more shaky. Seeing as well. that in the Premier League too, yeah. like if you aerially, he's not that secure. He is um, not a soft touch because he's an aggressive player, but there is a vulnerability there, particularly over his back shoulder, and, and Tottenham fans will, will remember that. Mm. So I think, it, it, for me, it comes down to that. It's, it's sort of, if you are a team, I, I have no problem whatsoever if you if you are the sort of team who can hold out in those sort of situations going into that sort of phase where you say, right, let's just make it hard for them to, to score. But we've seen it now on two occasion with, occasions with Argentina that it's actually made things much worse for themselves. Um, and in those instances, I always think, you know, if you come out of this game and you end up losing this game when you're 2-0 up, Will you not look back on that and say, maybe we should have been more proactive? Maybe we should have, you know, because, okay, maybe we will give away a goal, but we gave away two goals anyway, sitting back. Maybe if we'd have been a little bit more proactive and gone forward a bit more, maybe we would have scored a goal ourselves. And yes, Mm -hmm. the the game opens out. But I think in those situations, you've got to think not only is it um, bad to to allow Mbappe um, more scope to score, but actually, it's it's going to be good for us keeping the ball away from from our our defence yeah. as well. So, which is a hard de- decision to make, I think. But uh, in the end, that's sort of how it played out. Because I think as soon as they made that decision to sit deeper, JJ and I were just like, you know, this this could go this mm, could go badly. You don't expect yeah. to give away two goals doing that, but they did. And they so, did. looking back on it, you think, well, well, I mean, from a French perspective, uh, Seb, do you think Didier Deschamps will after the game be? reflecting and wondering if if he could have done anything differently or do you think that he would have been 
you know, fairly happy with the, not the way that the game turned out, but the way that the, you know, the game progressed throughout. I mean, France did get back into it. They really only needed those two opportunities to, to do so. Yeah, I mean, to an extent, although there were kind of visible signs of discontent from him in the technical area quite late into the second half. Like there were... What about those, know, the substitutions in the first yeah, half? As well? I, so, I don't wanna, I, I, it's no. so long ago, I don't want to forget that they It happened, feels like but, days ago, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, so obviously the decision to remove Dembele and Giroud um, before half time, I think doing that, uh, well, it, that, that becomes unfortunately an iconic World Cup moment in the bad sense. And it's a moment that neither yeah. of those players will ever forget because it's kind of humiliating. Well, it's unclear why it happened. This right? is, it's possible this is, that there was illness yeah. or injury or we don't, we don't know. So all, right, all the way through the week, we've heard stories about illness in the French camp. And we know that, uh, I think John told me that there was an injury doubt with Giroud. So probably best not to kind of um, uh, guess at why that decision was made. It's very decisive managing. It's kind of Mourinho. Esque, isn't well, it? It was three or four minutes before half time. Yeah. And so you do wonder. I could understand if one player is brought off, you would instantly think, okay, well, there must be an injury issue there. But because two players were brought off at the same time, it did seem as though Deschamps was trying to make a statement. Well, remember also that you have, whilst you have five substitutes, you do only have three opportunities to stop the game right. in um, regulation time. So it might have been a case of, might, might have been strategic thinking, possibly. Uh, at the same time, it was strange to me that. If it was purely tactical and it didn't have to be done, why you wouldn't just wait three minutes until halftime and spare mm. the players, you know, the stigma of being substituted in a World Cup final before halftime. Um, but I didn't feel as if anything that Deschamps did then or during halftime really had any impact on the game at all. Like it, the, the France's comeback was kind of built out of moments little isolated bits of play that we've covered rather than any kind of seizing of the game or creation of any kind of uh, counter momentum. Mm. Uh, so it didn't feel like a very, didn't feel like a coach's comeback, if that makes sense. Sure. It didn't, um, didn't seem that way, but yeah, I, I it's strange. I, I think this is one of those finals where in the next couple of days, we might hear a few bits and pieces about French preparation just feels that way because it just didn't yeah. feel right. Like um, they seem bizarrely short of energy. Uh, I think it could even be the, the mental side of the game. Like, again, we're talking about the tactics and what players do on the pitch, but so much of it is how they carry it. And like they, I thought they go into it more calm and collected because they've already most of that team have already won the World Cup. Yeah. So you think they've got that experience? That's huge. You can't buy that. So then you can go into the game, be more calm, play football the way you want to play it, and that should really help. But instead, what they came out with was that that calm approach that was too passive, and there was no aggression in the play whatsoever. And Argentina were very aggressive, and it's like you just can't. You can't then get your team up. I don't know if it's a case of motivation. Yeah. And then like Dembele was the one who uh, was clumsy and brought down Di Maria, getting caught as well, and spun in the corner. So it might even have been that Deschamps' mentality is like, this is nuts. We need to do something now. And there's no point waiting until halftime. I felt like maybe that could be right. I mean, also, one of the things that shocked me was actually the lack of accuracy. So talk about, you know, France being passive or France not being aggressive enough um, contesting for the ball. There were moments when even simple things like hallmarks of French tournament play in the past were, were absent. So you see sort of five to 10 yard passes um, being misplaced. And yeah. there was a moment probably, can't remember exactly when, but it's around sort of 60 to 70 minutes when um, it, it was a, it was probably about a five yard pass, which just got spooned off the pitch. And Deschamps just looked at whoever gave it. I forget who. Uh, I think incredulously, it, I think it was Varane. It, it might have been. And it's just like it's, oh, we've, we've talked about how many of these French players have played in a World Cup final. So you, you discount the idea that the occasion was too big for them because they've had the occasion already. Um, they've also dealt with adversity in the past. Obviously, the loss to Switzerland in the Euros, um, and they have played big games to get through this tournament. The England game was very large, for instance, and, and there's been a lot of pressure on them all the way through. I wonder whether this was a kind of, uh, you step into that stadium, which from our television pictures looked like it was dominated by Argentinian fans, certainly looked like they they um, they held the majority support, and the kind of the emotional tide that those French players were, were facing might have been too much. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what it's like to be a professional footballer playing in a World Cup final. Mm. So I'm guessing. But um, it was curious. I, I mean, it was, yeah, it was a very strange French performance. It's interesting, isn't it? Because France play, this is how they play to a degree, right? They, they do sit deeper and, and they, they don't go particularly gung-ho. Um, and when they win, we say, well, this is what France do. You know, they don't have to mm -hmm. do much and mm -hmm. then they end up winning. So what's happened is they've actually lost a game playing this way. And, it, you know, the same thing happens. And they with, could have won the game. Yeah. yeah and they clawed away back in like three yeah. times. Yeah. yeah. But the same thing happened, I think, with Croatia as well, where everyone was like, oh, you know, this is Croatia. They're just really, really adept at, at 
drawing games, going to penalties, and then Argentina played against them and, and, and battered mm. them. So it it, it is. This is kind of my point with the England conversation the other day, by yeah. the way. It's like it's the same thing with Southgate. It's it, fine whilst you're winning and then when you lose, everyone loses their heads about it. But it's just it's kind of what we're all susceptible though, France, isn't it? Because right? like if if um if Marnie takes that chance at the end, if Martinez doesn't yeah. produce his great save, what we're talking about is oh, Argentina bottled it. Well, also having you said know. that, like what, what John said before, uh, which I think is is the kind of the prescient point about this final is that unlike what we've seen from Argentina all the way throughout the tournament, they were extremely proactive mm. in this game. They they took the game to the opposition early on, and that's not something that I think we can say about too many of the even all of the matchups that have occurred throughout the tournament. Um, in that sense, depending on what you like about the sport. They feel like deserved winners. Yeah, I right? think so. And and also, it, was, it made for a much more entertaining game than if both teams were going to be cagey. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, it was three three for God's sake. Yeah. Yeah. I think also represents perhaps maybe a tactical shift in previous World Cups because we spent a lot of time in previous World Cups trying to justify tactically the way that teams like France and Croatia play, right? Whereas in this World Cup, it's it's almost been the teams who are more likely to just be a little bit more aggressive have actually enjoyed things a little bit more. And um, there's been, I was reading a piece in ESPN the other day where one of the stats guys went through and had a look at some of the trends. And I think this is the one of the first, uh, one, well, one of the World Cups where there's been the weakest correlation between expected goals and results, mm. uh, but also p- uh, possession and results has been has been uh, thrown up a little bit as well, which I think, again, suggests, you know, being aggressive out of possession has, has changed things around as well. So I do think there are like, we are seeing sort of tactical shifts happening as well. It's quite interesting. I mean, I've, I've seen people describe the football at this tournament as, as, you know, part of the best World Cup ever, quote. I do wonder when people say that, what it is they mean. Often we associate that with, with upsets and stuff. But the, the biggest discrepancy between XG and the reality, maybe that's what people <laughs> yeah. mean. Like maybe that's the really boring way of describing like what that best tournament ever feeling. It's uh, definitely been the like. most dramatic World Cup, I think, for, for a while, which mm. I, I think is all, people are always going to take more away from it. Like in terms of what happened in this game, it was the drama that got us, right? It wasn't sure. We weren't watching that game being like, oh, what a really interesting thing that they're doing there with rotations between these two positions. But no. it's it's very much kind of Argentina go ahead, deserved in control of the game and then let it let it slip. And then yeah. that's, that's well, what motivates people, right? Well, on that note then, let's go and have a break. And when we come back, we will discuss some of that drama. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Oh, what a lovely break that was. Now to drama. Of course, the uh, the narrative of this uh, this final, and in many ways this World Cup, JJ, has been the Mbappe versus Messi affair. Um, it was a pretty extraordinary game in that regard. Uh, Mbappe, of course, scored a hat-trick. Uh, two, two, two of those goals were, were penalties, but takes the golden boot, uh, I believe scored eight, and is now on 12, which is only four behind Miroslav Klose, and he's only 23 years old, or 20, 20, yeah, 23. 24 right? in two days. 24 in two days' time. Yeah. So uh, I think it seems, given that he has the potential to play in perhaps another three tournaments, it seems unlikely that he's not going to surpass Miroslav Klose's all-time record of 16. Pretty extraordinary. Messi, I think, now on 13. And, of course, also scored uh, two goals in this game, not including the the penalty score during the the penalty shootout. Um, You've said all the way throughout that you feel that, that Messi should win one. Would you like to speak to that? Win the World Cup. Yeah. Like it's just, I just feel like it's had to have happened. It feels almost like this didn't really happen today. It's a bit odd. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's too... That's the way it should have been in my mind. Like, you want the best players. Like, I've enjoyed watching Messi because uh, he makes me love watching football. Like, everything... I, I want to... I, I actively watch football games that he's in just to watch him. I have gone to Barcelona just to see him play because mm. it is... Uh, 
had to write a thing for the Athletic, which you can subscribe to, um, about like when I first saw him. I first saw him play for Argentina versus Croatia at the old West Ham Upton Park, is what it's called, in the Upton Park. Uh, and I remember uh, he didn't even do that much in the game. He scored a penalty in the game. That's basically it. But every time he got the ball. You feel the surge in the crowd, and it's something that I can't. It, it's the closest to like a religious experience that I'll probably ever get, because you know. So that's the kind of thing I found of it, and it was. I, I think about it all the time. I think about that watching him play all the time as like an experience, and then I had to. Well, I have to go and see him play at the camp now. So then I went to see him play against Real Sociedad. They won two 0 Pedro scored an overhead kick. It was amazing, uh, and again, brilliant. He walks around a lot. Doesn't even do that much when he gets it. You just feel it in the crowd. Everyone's watching this thing like it's a little creature that shouldn't exist. Like a little bit of a a star has fallen out onto the ground and then become a man. Have you been watching the film Stardust? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm doing With like, Claire Danes. It's like Dayman and Nightman. Yeah. He is a goblin. Yeah. There's nothing else goblin. To, to describe. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's something about it. So like, I just was desperate for him to win that because it makes it perfect that he's won the absolute, like if, if it's a, if the world or, or all life is a fairy book story, he has completed the ending in the way that mm. he would have wanted it to. Uh, That's why. Can yeah. I say I was I was outside um, uh, uh, just before extra time started, chatting to producer Craig, uh, who 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 isn't a huge football fan. He, he I think he enjoys watching these things as a kind of cultural phenomenon, you know. Yeah. But he's not a big fan. And um, we were we were exploring the idea of why people love to watch other people fail seemingly more than they do win. And I wondered if it's because it, you know you see. Messi and the Argentina team, for 70 minutes of this game, they're completely on top. France are offering absolutely zero uh, attacking threat. And then out of nowhere, a straight back in the game, two goals, it's 2-2. You watch Lionel Messi's face and you think, there's no way that for 70 of those minutes you aren't, little thoughts aren't creeping in. You're thinking about lifting the trophy, you're thinking about what it means to yeah. you, you're thinking about a career working towards this moment. There's no way that doesn't happen, right? And then when France score two goals, it's snatched away. And that is an extremely relatable human experience, right? That yes. happens to everyone in a way that winning a World Cup does not happen to everyone. Even if it's something as simple as, you know, you you, you have a romantic interest in some, with someone, you go on a date, you think it's gone really well. Turns out it hasn't. They don't like you. They, In fact, they hate you and they wish you were dead. You know, those sorts of things. I know this one. And, and it's, it's snatched away from you. The dream that you saw ahead of you is snatched away. If it's extremely relatable, happens to people probably on a daily basis, doesn't it? Or at least regularly. Can, do you think that's why people... It's human, doesn't it? That's what it is, it's right? a, You're watching a human experience. Yeah. Do you think that's why it's people... It's very voyeuristic. It's not... So I think it's got a nice way of thinking about it too. It's... it's Instead of thinking people love to watch human failure, I think actually people love to watch relatable experiences. I think people want to feel as though Lionel Messi is no different to me in some respects. And mm. I've experienced disappointment and look, there he is, despite all of the advantages that he has in terms of his ability, etc. Mm. And, and there he is sort of failing in the, sort of, in the ways that I've experienced myself. But we talked on the Totally Crossover show about... I talked about the Vitruvian Man, which is that famous Leonardo da Vinci picture of the guy who looks a bit like Ibrahimovic in a, in a circle. And mm. the whole idea of that picture is that you have like all these ratios described, like everything fits, like the arms are a certain length because they relate to the length of the legs, etc. And for me, the Messi winning the World Cup is very much like that. Like there's a neatness to it. There's something that it just makes you feel as though the world is right. The best player that has, has ever played the, the, the game, in my opinion, has won the World Cup. And it, I, I don't think that he needs to do that in order to be the greatest mm. player. But there's just some kind of fittingness to it. Like, it's mm. appropriate that Messi should win the World Cup. Maybe because it describes you as an optimist, perhaps. Yeah, in a weird way, because I, I don't feel particularly optimistic at the best of times. But it, it feels to me as though, because of what you've said and, and how accurate it is and how neat it is, that it shouldn't happen <laughs> because good things don't happen. Yeah. Do you know well, this I mean? is why I like tactics, right? Because I like the structures and I like things to make sense. And yeah actually when you watch a game they don't nothing makes sense and mm. a lot of it is just me imposing my ideas on Similarly the pitch to, because you know, i want it to make sense absolutely right? but, and despite the fact that you approach life in that way and are very rigorous and talented you still lost to me at chess which is exactly <laughs> the, the kind of chaotic universe it's imbalance true, that shouldn't exist that is the chess version of messy not and everyone wanted Cup. me to lose that game everyone because they wanted, wanted me to fail they wanted they to want look at me to and relate say, to you yeah, that's right yeah, yeah. in a way they that want they to know that i am human in absolutely absolutely seb this came up on the first live stream the chess. nice bit of symmetry well i'm just i'm, yeah, I'm giving the illusion of structure yeah yeah okay there we go okay fine let's talk about uh mbappe 
than pleased Seb because uh, as we said before, yeah. 12 goals already, an absolute uh, superstar. You know, the, 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 his second goal, the finish for his second goal, he kicks the ball. He kicks the ball very hard. It's amazing to me, well, the goal that, that equalised, it's amazing to me that you can be that out of the game and still trust your technique so much that you don't take a touch. You just think, it's good enough, I'll beat him from here. Mm. And you have the time in those moments to know that um, you've really beaten the fullback, you know where the goalkeeper is, you know where the goal is, and you just execute perfectly. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. Like Following on from what we've just said about relatability, I think one of the appealing things about football is the opposite, in that in all sports, you want to see people do extraordinary things, right? Yeah. You want people to achieve amazing things that you can't really have a grasp on. Um, and also, to a lesser extent, scoring three penalties albeit one in a shootout in a World Cup final, is actually an amazing achievement in itself. Like when, um, when England went out, we talked about the difficulty of taking two and Kane missing his. Like The mental resilience to deal with that is... And to put them all left. To put them all left, to win the battle with a goalkeeper who you know is really, really good at saving penalties. Mm -hmm, yeah. Who like I don't care who you are, uh, Mbappe, Holland, whoever. Yeah. Like Martinez gets in the head of every player that he faces from the penalty spot, yeah. and um, Mbappe beat him all three times. It's amazing. It is amazing. It really is. Uh, he is. Um, he's almost. I, I. I don't know enough about Kylian Mbappe, the person, to have a, a grasp on who he is, and you know the person. Probably never will do. I think that's that's the trend with modern players to an extent. But goodness, you just love watching him because even in a game like that where Argentina were by far the better time, better side for most of it, with, with someone like that on the pitch, you just know that everything can change at some point. Mm -hmm. Like he may not have been the catalyst for it today, but you just know that he's capable. And that's a wonderful thing in football. It gives a football match, that you, it, it, even when it isn't fun to watch, it gives it a potency. And that's the value of world-class players. And, and no mm. doubt he's that. And um, yeah, an awful lot of Ballon d'Ors in his future. But just, um, that's a great player. And it's ridiculous what he's achieved already. Very quickly uh, on, on Scaloni, uh, John. Um, you, you've said sort of throughout the tournament that you, you thought he's approached games in exactly the way that, that he should. I think that was you, unless that might have been you that said that. Now, now I'm filled with doubt as I've opened my mouth. What was it you said? One of you has been repeatedly talking about Scaloni approaching games exactly how you would expect Oh, it's to. been me. It's it's like if, you. I, if I was doing it in Football Manager, that's exactly how I would do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So t tell me more about that. And, and, and was that the case in this game? What do you think about him as a coach? I mean, it's a pretty massive achievement, isn't it? Uh, well, I mean, every manager will look at the team they're playing, work out strengths, weaknesses for both yours and your, your opponent's. And then set up to make sure you get the best out of your best players and don't leave any space in places you don't want. You have to accept that some things you can't control. Um, in the first game against Saudi Arabia, just, you don't think that should have happened. That was mm -hmm. a bizarre result. Uh, mm -hmm. But when you look at it tactically, you can see the really big problems. And uh, I, w I was convinced, I've told loads of people that like when they ask who's going to win the World Cup, before the World Cup, I've been saying Argentina, definitely Argentina. Mm -hmm. For these reasons, I've watched them, like, studied them a bit to do videos on them. Well, absolutely convinced. And then I saw that Saudi Arabia game. I was like, ah, oh, I've got this wrong. I'm bad at this. Because they were missing like all, they were missing width. They were missing progression. They had a very disconnected looking team. And like, it's a team. It's not, you have great individual players, but it has to be a team that wins you the game. Mm. And uh, so that was a, a real thing. And he changed it for the next game. So he went to, that didn't work. It was meant to be a sort of diamond, but I don't think it really was. And it was weird. Like, so even the game um, that took place against France, the shape was like a 4 3 3, but also it was like a 4 3 2 1. But Di Maria was wide left with a big gap between him and Alvarez. And Messi wasn't, doesn't really count as a player. <laughs> so it's like a 4 3. One, one, um, Messi. wild card. Yeah, yeah. So then you've got Messi doing all the bits and pieces to make you win the game, and you protect him in different ways. But like, in, I can't remember. I mean, against Netherlands, for example, the way that Netherlands play, the exact right thing to do is to match up with their wing backs because Denzel Mfries always gets up on the overload, and they were so dangerous with that overload. So he played a back five. Mm -hmm. and it worked perfectly and that's how they managed to, to handle them and then they, they, they dropped off a little bit too early that's the one thing I wouldn't like it makes sense to drop off too early but again if you're playing like football manager if you mm -hmm. drop off too early you often end up conceding because you need to be braver to just keep it it's hard to do especially in a World Cup final stay really brave and push up leave the space in behind because you, you might get hurt with Mbappe we saw mm -hmm. it actually happened but uh, the earlier you go, the more pressure you invite onto yourself. And you can see, actually, there's a, when I do this video after the, um, you'll see it on TFO IRL, uh, there's a, there's a graphic that, um, the John Muller has made. He's made this mad computer that puts out all data into 
the things and uh, you can see it's in like the 60th minute so like Argentina have all the play so like I think it's um is what's it called not game state or, or goal probability it's all Argentina and then they they change the way they're playing they start trying to defend out let's lock this down bang France all France uh, for the next mm. little bit and then they start to change a little bit and tinker with it and you can see exactly where the changes have been made for that and um, so that's the thing that maybe Scaloni would regret but it also makes tactical sense yeah. to try and lock it down. I think that's worth saying, isn't it, that um, you know we we, uh, we spend a lot of time here talking about uh, how and why teams set up in the way that they do, and sometimes that encourages the um, the thought that there is a, a binary choice. There's a yes or no, yeah, and that's not the case. There, there there are often like different correct choices that you can make at any given time. One of the fun things about football is that it's um. It's a wild team game with very few stoppages in play. So, you know, you yeah. can't predict everything. And it's why I love watching Messi again so much. It's because that yeah. he can make... It doesn't matter what you do with it. He'll just win it for you somehow. Like, out of nowhere. Like a little bit of magic that you can't possibly ever have imagined someone be able to do it. Like the pass inside that player... It was against Netherlands, was it? Yeah. Where he, like, he picks the ball up, the boy starts running. So he knows in the back of his mind. He doesn't look up to see him once. He knows roughly where he's going to be. And then just must be able to see in his periphery like he has another eye on the back of his head or something yeah. to be able to find that pass with a perfect weight. You can't, like, <laughs> you can't teach it to anyone. No. You can't coach that. Some people have that ability to be able to see things. You see like great painters, great uh, film writers. Yeah, it's in the <laughs> too, right? Like, so before that pass, he changes the pace of the game a little bit. It's yeah. a little burst of pace which changes the angle that he's passing into but also what the defence are doing. And it's the sequencing. Like if you're editing something, right? Editing footage, it matters what sequence it comes into. Joe's had, had me watching Adam Curtis documentaries. So oh, I see, yes. That now, right? that makes sense, yeah. um, But it's the same Please take three and a half hours to explain what you're saying. <laughs> Without saying anything at all. Indeed. No words. Indeed. And it's just, the whole picture of it is just amazing. It's one of the goals of the tournament. It's, uh, yeah, an absolute masterpiece. Let's talk about the tournament now. Yeesh. That's the game, uh, and I think we all acknowledge it was a, a, an absolutely fantastic game. It'll be one that goes down in history as potentially one of the best ever, or at the very least will be part of that discussion, whatever value that discussion has. Uh, but Qatar 2022 has now come to an end. John McKenzie, would you like to summarise your thoughts for me about the, the tournament as a whole? You can talk about the, the on-pitch stuff, you can talk about the off-pitch stuff. Imagine this is the last opportunity you have because it literally is on this live stream to uh, to 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 talk. I think it is worth while contextualizing the on pitch stuff with the off pitch stuff. So we should maybe take a moment to talk about how important this event was from a wider world political point of view. Um, and it's you know it's it's tough, isn't it, looking back on it? Because it has been such a good tournament in many respects. We've enjoyed the football. Um, but the World Cup has become, in the last few decades, an event that can allow large nations to to um, present themselves to the world in, in various ways, be it through uh, washing their image, through it being um, being able to get in, in, onto the top table of the of, of, of the world political sphere, so you can network with people you might not have access to otherwise. We've talked a lot about various political um, bargaining that happens in order for these things to happen as well. So this is a weird one to talk about because it does have those two levels. Or on the one hand, it is just a, an event to be enjoyed by everyone uh, as, as the celebration of football around the world and, and the various uh, countries around the world, also the various best players around the world. But it does have that shadow side as well. And I think... Um, this tournament has been that's been that coverage has been good it's been easy to cover the shadow side of the world cup um because it's so front and center at a, at a world cup like the world cup in qatar mm. going forwards there's going to be world, world cups where it's harder to cover that side of things because the world cup will be being held in countries where it's the, you know the, the the sorts of things that they're doing are much more acceptable for various reasons um so i think it is worth just sort of couching whatever we say about world cups going forward in in that language of we need to be aware of the fact that we are being used as pawns in a in a much bigger game um i don't know if anyone else wants to come on to that because it feels wrong to then just jump on and talk about some of the the on-pitch stuff after that but i, I, <laughs> I think this is part of a bigger conversation in the sense like I'll, I'll talk for myself rather than anybody else or try and tell anybody else what to think but i feel like my relationship with the game has been changing for quite some time um not because of this World Cup, because of things that you see week in, week out in the Premier League, um, some of the realities that lie behind football. 
And some of the things which, when you watch the game, when you watch a game, you see a goal, you see a great bit of skill, um, it feels much smaller than it ever has done before. It feels like it's part of something which isn't really about whatever game is being contested or whatever league title is being fought for, mm. whatever. And this is just part of the game. And I, I think um, I think it's becoming harder and harder to escape that as a reality. Um, I think it's a trend. I don't think it's anything that's unique to this tournament. And I don't think it's anything new either. I think if you read the work of someone like James Montague, I think um, he lays out some of the situations really, really well, probably better than any other British journalist I know. Uh, and it's difficult. And it's difficult. Um, I... I, I don't think I have enjoyed the tournament. I've enjoyed some of the football and I've enjoyed spending time with my friends and around the office and that kind of thing. That's been great. But um, I don't think I've ever uh, quite got past some of the things that were covered before this tournament. Uh, mm. And that's not me trying to tell anybody else to agree with me. That's just being honest. I um, was also um, on a kind of a, a logistical note. It's been um, the idea of expanding the World Cup. Uh, on the one hand, I think it's good because I think more countries should have the opportunity to play in the World Cup. The idea of an even bigger World Cup, 48 teams, uh, that fills me with a little bit of dread. Not sure I, I want to sit through that in quite the same way that I used to sit through World Cups when I was younger. It felt a little bit more digestible. Um, also, uh, and I'm glad to hear that there's been a maybe a, a rethink around this, but um, the abandoning of those last simultaneous group games which were amongst the better moments of the tournament, I felt, mm -hmm. like when we were in the office. Um, so I don't know, I, but I, I'm very worried about where football goes in the next few years, the next few decades. I'm worried about how I will respond to it because it leaves a gap in my life if I don't have the same affection for it. But then I think a lot of people will probably say the same, and that's not a, necessarily about where World Cups are held. It's about why football is played, I think. Um, so that's a, a bigger question. Probably not one for a live stream, but... It's how I feel. It's how I feel. So, honest. I think I really enjoy watching the football games. There have been some games that I will not ever forget because they were great to watch. And like I said, I've enjoyed being watching it with people. It's been nice having a shared experience like that that many people don't get because they go to work and they come home and whatever. And we're lucky we get to watch all the games. So that's really good. Mm -hmm. Working in the industry, uh, I certainly very much appreciate that. It's great. Uh, I think the timing of it is odd because normally like we in this country would then have Christmas coming up and so there's something that sort of interfered with that. Do I, I don't know how I feel about Christmas this year now. <laughs> that sounds very difficult for it's you. It's weird, yeah, because then the World Cup's been the whole thing that all I've been thinking about and constantly like, watching four games a day, uh, although it's watching football, very fun, very tiring, quite hard to mm -hmm. do and analyse all of them in one day. That's quite hard to do every single day. So... I don't know, there's something of it, but then what I think is as well is that, you know, we live in this part of the world, other people live in other parts of the world, and so for them, they don't even have Christmas, they have other things, and so it maybe works for that, and it's good to be reminded that you're not the centre of the universe yeah. uh, from time to time, even though obviously I am. So <laughs> I think <laughs> uh, yeah. what's interesting about that is, like, when you move around, it's like, I moved country a couple of years ago and made my home somewhere else, and it it's interesting to watch your relationship with that place change, like the mm -hmm. place that you call home. So when I watch, I feel very detached from Premier League football, for instance. And, and there's, as I've moved away from it, I've found the kind of the decadence of it more and more unappealing. And I, there's something about it which is just so gauche and in your face. And my team will always be my team. I can't change that. Um, but you do notice the difference. And so it does really matter where you watch these things from. And I think that's true with club football, international football, World mm -hmm. Cups, European Championship, religion, customs, like yeah. culture. It, it just is the truth. And it, it matters that you appreciate that where you live gives you a unique perspective, which will always be different from where somebody else is watching on from, I think. I mean, as much as I love watching the World Cup, I'm glad I watched it here and probably not uh, in the venue. It's probably the first time I've ever thought that with... World Cups, I always wanted to go there. Like, when we were mm. working out whether we want to go or not or something, you know, I think, well, that'd be great. But actually, mm. I think maybe that's because I like watching football somewhere I can go to the bathroom whenever I need to. Rather than being in the stadium. Maybe that's just about me and football. Yeah. Do I like football? I do like football. <laughs> I do like football a lot, yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know what I'm saying, to be honest. Yeah. It's funny because I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm one of those people that um, when I lived in England, I never wanted England to hold a tournament, to stage a tournament. Like I was, when Euro 96 was held, uh, I was 12 years old, so I was, and I was still at school, so it wasn't like it was really happening around me. Now I just don't like the idea of uh, a tournament being staged in this country because I, I want the kind of the, the cultural difference that comes with a World Cup and yeah, like that's part being of the able fun, to right? learn and, and yeah. you know, potentially 
um, probably not now, but back in the past, you know, being able to travel to somewhere and see different things, I think that's part of it. So it's a really, really big, complicated issue. And I, I think that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I would, uh, if they could hold, hold the World Cup in Scotland, it would be the most amazing thing of all time. <laughs> but if it's, in, if it's in London, I would love that as, you know, it would be incredible because then all people come together and you get to see it all and it would, it would work in that sort of massive city. But I have to say the main, my main memory of the Euros last year was um, uh, thinking throughout the tournament that uh, it was really nice that the, uh, England and English uh, fans seem to have been like detoxified. Um, and then the, on the final day, yeah, the spooky energy. We, that we, day, we left so our, you know, our respective oh, yeah. uh, you know abodes to head to the office at probably before midday, and it was like a disgrace on on the streets at of like London. A, Eleven o'clock in the morning, it was like, a horrible yeah. toxic energy everywhere. And of course, that doesn't you know it's not necessarily reflected in in the behaviour of all of the people. But I remember thinking then, like, oh, I guess this is kind of what it would a bit be like to have a, a big tournament be hosted, you know, completely here. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't enjoy that element. I like to think that it wouldn't be. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sure I'm being hopelessly. It was only with the final. That. It wasn't it, like that before. Was, yeah. I remember we, we were talking about this, and it, it only kind of became like that on the morning of the final when I walked to the office and I walked through like various places in London, and there was mm. an aggression about everything, yeah. which um, been around a lot of football crowds, and that felt different. Um, yeah, I don't know whether I just walked through it at a bad time. I'm not sure. But oh, I um, think the key, the key uh, uh, to what you said before, though, Seb, is is the trend element. Like, you know, obviously it's the, it's the Qatar World Cups. So we've been talking about Qatar and we've been talking about Doha and we've been talking about a specific type of sports washing for the, probably the last six months and actually for a lot longer before that. But yeah. um, it is a trend. Uh, and obviously a World Cup is is a, is a kind of moment where, um, you know, lots of separate threads are tied together every four years as an opportunity to, to look at it, to take a step back, to take stock. Um, but you said yourself, when you moved to Germany, you look back at the Premier League and yeah, it's it's kind of disgusting what football has become, right? It's it's hard. It is harder and harder for me personally to uh, to yeah. maintain uh, uh, any kind of level of purity in my relationship with it. And I don't, as I, as you said before, I don't speak for the people in the chat. I don't speak for people who are listening to the podcast. It's up to everybody to decide what their own relationship with it is. But but for me personally, I find it harder and harder every year to enjoy it, and that's kind of devastating. Uh, and it's difficult yeah. to summarize. On a live stream, like all of the the numerous reasons for that, I think commercialization of football is like one, one of the big reasons. It does feel, you know, particularly with club football, you kind of end up feeling like you're supporting a company, which is a weird thing. Like you don't really have that in any other area I mean, I of your that life. I've for years and years. It's one of the things exactly yeah. you said. Like I feel far more attached to Aberdeen sporting that club that, that I live down here, weirdly. Yeah. When it's separate. So it's a bit, a bit of home, I guess, as they yeah. are. But there's something... Um, like there's not a lot of money in that Scottish football, so it's very mm. much a bunch of lads on the pitch. Some of them obviously come in and have a bit of money to play, but there's something different to that too. I find it very odd people who get very, very um, fanatical about the big Premier League clubs because to me they already look like companies. It's like sporting yeah. Asda over Tesco. Yeah, I don't. It's weird. I, I get it because there's regional and they're from different places. And you grow up with it, and it's a it's a often a familial connection, and it's you know it's, it's something, and it's, to, it's it's a shared experience again course, that people yeah. have, and yeah. it replaces a lot of things like as maybe religion in certain countries um, declines or is not as popular. People yeah. find new ways to have identity, and they attach themselves. A lot of people do to the football club. It becomes a really big important thing, yeah. and so then when it starts having money creep into that, it becomes a little bit. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. a bit wrong. Well, it's it's harder to not feel commodified as a group. It's, like, it's, hard it's harder to, avoid... to not consider yourself. But this is wider society as a, we're talking about as well. It's just right? football. Like, that's kind of moaning about what's happening in the well, world. Well, but like we're doing football, generally. football is a perfect reflection of wider society, isn't it? I mean, yeah. like that's the, that's yeah. the fun thing about it. That's why it's a fun job to have. Is you get to uh, use it as a kind of microcosm uh, through which to explore other things. I think. Um, I think we, we we need to admit that we're in a little bit of a media bubble. But at the same time, I think one of the things that's got to me over the last couple of years is. Uh, if you read through our, our coverage in, uh, on The Athletic and you read about the amount of scandal that has afflicted smaller clubs, mm. I think Premier League fans, a lot of Premier League fans, if they're honest, realised a long time ago that it doesn't matter if they're not in the stadium anymore because the club doesn't, club will fill seat. You're not an important, mm. you're not a Jenga block in your, in your kind of club's future. Um, and that's just a reality of TV money, of commercialism, all these kind of things. And, and that's, that is what it is. I think when you see a kind of a different type of owner come into the game in England. And this is not just about England, but it's just the, the country I know most about, um, the football system I know most about. And their aim isn't to kind of 
do traditional smaller club stuff like mm. promote the community or you know move up from league x to league y it's to do something nefarious often and the amount of stories it chips away at you man it's like a it's a it's yeah. a difficult reality that, that everyone's not sort of aimed in the same direction because football used to have a simple premise which was let's try and advance and you know within that lay this kind of basic optimism that every supporter had which was that we might not win anything today, but maybe in the future it might be a little bit better than it is um, yeah. right now. And that's kind of changed. And so as a result, you don't have that simple thing to grasp at anymore. No. And that's a, it's difficult. I mean, like, that's just how I feel, but um, I'm sure other people are able well, to kind of touch on to other stuff. I would say also, as it relates specifically to this tournament, um, and how it reflects a wider society. It's been a sort of, you know, it's a, um, it's a, uh, I don't know, an observed phenomenon in the last sort of five or six years, particularly with in politics, people uh, talking about how we live in an age which has been co uh, coined as a, you know, post-truth or whatever. Hmm. Uh, but it's funny how often uh, these days you watch an interview, you watch somebody who has a public role in their response to something. And you think, oh, if that happened like 10, 15 years ago, that, that person would be out of a job or there would be consequences for it. And I think the age that we live in now, they just seem, the age just is like defined by an absence of consequences, right? And the, 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 the man who is the CEO of uh, the Qatar World Cup, the, the, the delivery committee, whose name I can't remember, when he's interviewed by uh, Reuters after the death of the migrant worker, uh, and when he responds first with, why are you asking me about this? And second, with death as a natural part of life, and nothing happens. There's nothing. Yeah, it was very That's it. Like, yeah, yeah. that's the end of that conversation. We talk about it a bit. It's a bit of a response online. We maybe mention it here. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Like, what are you supposed to have faith in? Yeah. Like, what is there left? And I know, again, like football is a reflection of society. This is not specific to this sport. This is just an opportunity for us to talk about these things in a focused, in a focused manner. What, what, are you, what is your response supposed to be to that? Like, they feel like completely helpless. Yeah, this is a, this is a societal norm in England now. It's mm. just the way of things. It, it also doesn't really feel unusual no. to see that kind of thing happen and then the conversation just to end. Uh, but then this is something that if you live in England um, or live in many other countries around the world, it's something you've probably got used to um, and come <sighs> to kind of accept as just what happens now. Well, to answer your question, I think it was a good World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have a second it. break yet? No. Let's oh, I guess let's have a break now. Yeah. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Oh, that was good. That one was good. All right, uh, so let's play Points Are Bad now and then all go home. Points are bad. Uh, no, listen, really points aren't bad, bad for everybody, Seb. They're not bad for everybody. But we'll come back to that a little bit later. Now, uh, if you remember, uh, we has did... Gianni Infantino won? He's yes. going to come and collect a trophy. No, he, he won points about it. He okay. absolutely did. He, yeah. he, he gathered no points whatsoever. Uh, we, all, of course, predicted for uh, the runner-up game as well as the final. But before we do that, I'm very excited to share with you uh, something that has been uh, created um, with, uh, with, with love and, and, and care by a producer, Don, over there. I believe there's a visual element to it as well. Oh. But if we all place our headphones on here, we'll be able to hear a special version of Points Are Bad before we give the, the final results. And uh, we are ready for you, uh, producer Jamie, as and when you are ready. Is it playing? Can you hear it? Yes, there we 
go. I can hear it. I'm, I'm, well, okay, then it stopped. I enjoyed that great. Now, of course, JJ, you could, you didn't seem to be able to hear that, but I could the hear. The chat loves it. The chat loves it. It's uh, it's a little parody of the of the Wii Shop music. It's yeah, great. very good. Anyway, thank you to producer Don. What a lovely video to accompany it as well. Excellent work. Uh, excellent work all round. And uh, terrible work from me, who finished last in points are bad with a hundred and fifty two. Oh, so close to keeping it below there. Thank you. Your wish for a 17-2 final looked on for a bit when it they didn't were 2-0 up. look yeah. silly for a it while. It could have been okay. Yeah. I actually predicted uh, for that game, I uh, predicted a 2-2 for Croatia-Morocco. Just one point added there. 3-1 for France. So I only added two. I did kind of okay. In fact, I actually did... Uh, what did I do here? I did better than almost everyone else for the last two games. How about that? Except me. No, I did better than you. I was playing tactical. Really? Actually, last two games. I only I added three points for those last two oh, games, no, which was the most improved player. Uh, John, you added five. Oh, I have a question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when when you say that there's a draw, <laughs> yeah, do you go with the score at the end of 120 minutes or the end of 90 yeah. minutes? At the end of 120, absolutely. Oh. And uh, of course, John, you you uh, did collect five points for your prediction of the. Final. Oh, I did get one. Completely correct. You got so completely accurate on the the runners up game. I was going yeah. I was going to come to that, but so you insisted. No, that's that right. I, I referenced you said it. Said five, and it made it sound like I had. You predicted one nil Argentina on both, and I just felt it was worth saying I did really well on one <laughs> and really badly on the other. You did do very well on that. Uh, now, of course, uh, JJ Ball, you didn't have the best time here. You predicted a nil nil game between France and Argentina, <laughs> yeah. which of course means that you collected six points. You also predicted two nil Morocco. Now you were going for bold options. But I think we all know that that means that instead of winning, you have actually finished third with oh, 146 bad. points. You're only six behind me. Well, what I've done in a lot of these games recently is uh, accidentally uh, predicted what I want to happen rather than yes. what I probably suspect will. Sure. And I, maybe I do that a lot. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'm right. But you move on, and it's all about the three yeah, points. We we'll forget. We get. We'll forget about this, and we'll move on. We'll take the take the three points next time. We've got to focus, work hard. We go, we go again. We, we go, go again. again. Nothing beats hard work. Nothing well, beats hard work. Someone who doesn't go again is John McKenzie, because no one goes again. But John, you did come a respectable second with a hundred and forty-two points. So yeah, well yeah. done to John McKenzie. Though. I think I spent a lot of time not in second as well. So you did. You spent most back. of the time not in second. Yeah. You really did. You really did. But of course, there can only be one winner. Just one. I'm not even going to make light of it. I'm genuinely happy. I'm genuinely, genuinely Look happy at and proud. Face. Look at He's his happy. face. The winner, of course, is Seb Staffordblaw with 136.6 points ahead. Yes. Well done. Well done. Look go. at that. This, is, so this is how I wanted it to feel like. Now, this listen. It's uh, like Messi your... winning the World Cup. I wanted Seb to win this as well. Yeah. I wanted it, you to win it too, so that I could present you with this trophy, a special Ooh, copy of lovely. How to Watch uh, Football. That looks really nice. There yeah. you go. Now, Joe, if yeah. I wanted uh, more of these, because one is nice, but you know, many more would be better, where would I go to do that? Well, I think if you come to the TIFO office, they're just lying around. No, but, 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 if I, but if I wanted to, um, you know, if I wanted to actually spend money on it, where would I? You, know, you would go to your local bookstore right you look right. your G drive to all the yeah. <laughs> all the scripts that you wrote I think you've got them all in PDF form haven't you various emails with the exchanges between you and the publisher but, but if no, I there still we wanted go. to uh, you know, your I local <laughs> bookstore that's correct he likes acoustic books don't you yeah. well done Seb hey, Staffordblore it smells excellent it does smell good, yeah. Oh, that's lovely. There you go. That's yeah, a really nice book. Well, that's nice, isn't it? Mm. That's lovely. There we go. That's the end of Points of Bad. A big congratulations to Seb Stafford Bloor. And uh, thanks to Ban Summers for providing us uh, with that uh, with a lovely uh, Points of Sad song. Lovely, thanks to yeah. producer Don for making two different cover versions of Points of Bad. Thanks to me for creating it and doing the original song. Well done. Yeah, and kind of just being a cool guy all around and losing every time. Yeah? And thanks to you, JJ Bull, for attending this podcast. Rooney. Yes. JJ, oh, no, no. John McKenzie. Thanks. John, John McKenzie. John, John. Thanks to you. Have you enjoyed this, uh, this World Cup? It's uh, been the live streams? Fabulous. Fabulous. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Seb Stafford Bull, congratulations and thank you. Thank you very much, Joe Devine. Signing out now. Uh, we'll. Uh, uh, <sighs>
we are away for Christmas. I think we're away for the, uh, the the holiday season. I believe the first podcast back is around the 9th of January. So you won't hear from us until then. Although having said that, there is a special episode being released on Tuesday uh, where I speak to Nick Miller, Laurie Whitwell and Martina Simsic, who travelled all the way from uh, from the Midlands in the UK uh, to Qatar through about 17 different countries. So we reflect on their trip. I think that episode comes out on the 17th. JJ Bob, would you like to tell anybody what's available for viewing pleasure between now and the next time they hear from us in the podcast? Yes, a good few things. There'll be some uh, lovely videos going up in Tipo IRL over the next little um, bit of time. So even though we won't be doing the podcast for a couple of weeks, whatever, there'll be videos there. You'll like them. A I special could, Christmas Day episode, I, t- I think. Should I just tell about that one then? A little tease. A little Why teaser. not? Yeah. Well, there are many forums of football. There is 11 aside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in 11 aside, you run. There yes. is 5 aside. And often in 5 aside, you run. You but run. what if I could tell you there is a type of football you can play against old people? <laughs> and me. And, and Joe, <laughs> who doesn't have to run. Barely fitter than <laughs> that. And um, commits a violent crime against one of his own family members. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. That'll be a little special thing that yeah. comes out. I think it might be Christmas Day. It comes I hope so. out. So the twenty fifth yeah. of December. I took down an old man. You got to watch for that. There we go. We played walking yeah. football. That, that gives that's it away. What, yeah, that's what we did. Uh, uh, okay, fine. And, and Seb Safferball, is there anything specific that you'd like to uh, ask people to watch out for, illustrated video wise? No, we've got a few bits and pieces. We've got some stuff on the situation in Australia. We've got a uh, few bits on Lionel Messi. We've got a little bit on Manchester United mm-hmm. and. David De Gea. So we've got a big old range of content coming out. There's a video about Zinedine Zidane tomorrow. Yeah. So look out for that tomorrow morning. Okay. Yeah. Okay, fine. And the chat would like a Rooney from you uh, because I think you might give it a slightly different take on... Uh... Rooney! And we made John dance earlier. Yeah. <laughs> something that was cute. All right, there we go. That's the end now. Uh, end the show. See you later. Thanks for watching the live streams, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.